Amnesty's secret comedy podcast with your host, Alan Davis. Hello, welcome. You are listening to Amnesty International's secret comedy podcast live from the underbelly in Edinburgh. I'm your host, Alan Davis, and uh, we've got a cracking lineup. We've got five guests, we've got stand up comedians and chat and all sorts of things about human rights and life itself. <laughs> yeah, it's lunchtime here. You, you listener, have got this probably on a smartphone, on a train or something. You're on your own, and in your tiny little ears are all these people. It's unusual, but we are providing free content. And the more free content you get, the happier you are. That's my experience of the public today. <laughs> this content is free. Uh, we've got stand-up comedy from Jessica Foster Q, who is fantastic and funny and very, very nice. And she's sitting nearby where I can see her, so I feel obligated to say that. Uh, <laughs> But she is brilliant. Um, we've got former Doctor Turn comedian Mike Wozniak as well. Um, comedy activist, they call him. The brilliant Irish comedian, Keith Farnan. And the living joke machine, Tim Vine, will be joining us also. So it's going to be great. If you like everything you hear, make sure you keep listening to the end of the podcast. At the end of this podcast, you will be able to find out how you can contribute to Amnesty International's human rights work. So do stay with it, and at the end, you'll find out how you can do that. But without further ado, please really welcome our first guest, stand-up comedy from the fabulous Chris Martin. Yes. Hello. How are we doing? It's exciting to be at the Edinburgh Festival. I love the fact there's a lot of um, people who you're going to see here who are going to become famous. So we can all say that thing that people love to say. You know, when you meet someone, you go, I met him and I just knew he was going to be a star. I met him and I just knew he was going to be famous. People only ever say that about famous people. A lot of them goes, I met Gary and I just knew he was going to work at Sports Direct <laughs> because he loved selling sportswear but hated showing people where it was kept. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. It's nice to be here, be with people, spend too much time on my own. Last year, I got very bored. I was in my kitchen. I see a squirrel run into my garden, bury a nut, then run away. Now, a bit of me is thinking, well, I'm a lucky man to be in this situation, to see such a beautiful act of nature so close to where I live. I am truly blessed to be in this scenario. But at that moment, another part of my brain kicked in and just went... Move its nut <laughs> to a different part of the garden. You need to sort your life out when you start playing practical jokes on a different species, don't you? Glad you guys laughed. Someone said that was cruel the other day. That's not cruel. Cruel is capturing a hedgehog, spray painting it blue, taking a photograph of it, then tagging it on the internet as Sonic. That is cruel. <laughs> I don't know, I've got this weird, weird animal thing at the moment. A few of my friends have started to buy dogs. I'm kind of scared of dogs. When people buy a dog, they cannot understand if you're not on the same doggy wavelength as them. I went around to my friend's house recently. Their new dog came up to me, started barking in my face. First thing they said to me was, don't worry, it won't bite you. As soon as they said that, I thought, it's definitely going to bite me. If I went to a party and someone said, this is my friend Dave, and the first thing they said was, don't worry, he won't smash you in the face with a glass. I'd be like, someone strap a cushion to my head before it kicks off. Whenever I say I'm scared of dogs, someone goes, well, you must have been attacked by one. It's the only explanation. It's like, no, because that's not the only way that fear works. Never been shot with a gun, 
definitely scared of being shot with a gun. If someone pointed a gun at me, I'd panic, put my hands up, wouldn't go, never been shot, wet willy, wouldn't do that. We've all got that one friend as well, that one friend that somehow knows what to do whenever you're attacked by any animal. He said this to me the other day, he went, Oi, Chris, don't be scared of dogs, right? If one ever attacks you, just pull its legs apart, snap its spine. I'm like, what? I don't think that's the correct use of the word just, Ben. Just pop the kettle on, just call a cab, not just paralyze a pit bull with your bare hands, you lunatic. Man, it sounds like he does it every weekend. How was your weekend? Murdered 12 dogs and a jogger. <laughs> Why a jogger? He was hairy and panting, I was in the zone. Not scared of pugs, they don't count by the way, they don't. Someone I got one the other day, they got, oh, I got one of these because they don't really like cats, I'm more of a dog person. I'm like, you own a pug that is basically just a cat with a baggy face. It looks like a real dog that got hit by lightning on Mario Kart. Ridiculous animal. The worst thing is dogs are loyal. Dogs are so loyal. Think about what we do for that dog and the minimal stuff the dog does in return. Imagine dog explaining how easy its life is to another animal. Mate, it is unbelievable. I get free rent, three meals a day, belly rubs, baths. I get a free personal trainer down the park. What after in return? Well, when he's got his mates round and he tells me to sit down, I'll sit down. <laughs> to be honest, I quite want to sit down anyway. The ultimate is to be a guide dog, yeah, because then you get to eat food off your owner's plate without getting caught. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for the laughs. Enjoy the rest of the show. Chris Martin, you're back. Chris Martin. Thank you, Chris. This is very odd. It's a, a listener in your tiny ears. I'm on stage with the comedians sitting behind them while they're doing their jokes. It's the most extraordinary <laughs> I can't think about anything. I have to sort of look interested, but not laugh too much as it's distracting. <laughs> it's not, not your concern. Not your, you're, you're on your way to work. You may be at work. You're probably at work listening to this. You don't need to know how I feel. <laughs> the great thing about this podcast, listener, is they edit it. <laughs> I'm entirely free at this point to waffle away, talk to people in the audience. Hi. They're not interested. They're not interested. Um, I'm going to bring a guest on. It's somebody that I've known for... How long have I known you for, guest? Which guest is it? It's, it's, uh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be here for that one, listener. That's what happens when you're relying on free content. You miss bits because you couldn't be bothered to come up to Edinburgh to be at the festival. You think, I don't need to go. I can get my free content online. Well, you can't. You missed a really funny moment between me and my forthcoming guest. I've known for, I don't know, nearly 20 years. He's an absolutely brilliant stand-up comedian, really genuinely extraordinary joke writer, and he's been on telly a lot, and his sitcom not coming out. Uh, please, will you welcome Tim Vine? Oh, there he you. is. Here we are. <laughs> How are you, Alan? I'm all right, Tim. Is Tim Vine your real name? Yes, it is, yeah. Well, I was Timmy Vine when I was younger, when I had sort of white blonde hair, ran around talking all the time. Timmy Were you Vine. mainly known as Timmy? Yeah, my mum used to call me Timmy, and everyone called me Timmy. It's Timmy Vine, yeah. Are you, are you the young... How many siblings have you no, got? No, I'm the middle child, the one that's uh, with all the uh, issues. 
I'm the middle child too. Ah, what is that about? I don't, where the older one gets the responsibility, the younger one gets spoiled, you just get neglected, you become an attention seeker. Exactly, that's, the, that's exactly what happened, I think. Yeah. Many comedians are middle children. Yeah, yeah. But, but sometimes people say they're a middle child when they're the third of five, and I always say that's not a proper middle child. No, 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 you have to you be have one to of be, three. It's got to be three, yeah. So if you were one of those people, that's not you. You're not a middle. No. So shut up about it. Yeah. When you played Monopoly, did you, did you look out for Vine Street? Was that your favourite? Uh, I mean, did the family all race around the board to get to Vine Street? We, let's say we were aware of it, but uh, I wouldn't say that it became the focal point of the game. No. Well, it's we, not really that good, is it, in terms of rent? No, it was... was it, Orange, wasn't it? Orange. Set. Orange, yeah, it's yeah, an orange, yeah. one of the orange now, sets. Now, let's try and think, is that the orange set? Bow Street, was that one as well? Marlborough, I think. Wasn't that a station, was it? No, no. That's Marlborough. No, no, yeah, Fenchurch yeah. Street, King's Cross. Um. <laughs> oh, you'd think I'd remember those. Yeah. On the subject of that, um, oh, someone's heckling with a street name now, that was good. Go what on. was that? Go on, what was it? Liverpool Street Station is one of the stations. One of the stations. <laughs> Perhaps let's not go with every single, single... There's a jail as well. Is anyone shouting out jail? Yeah. How much do you get when you, when you pass 200. Go? Is it still 200 quid? Because when they started the game, that was a fortune. When you say, is it still 200 quid, do you expect them to get back in touch with everyone? And <laughs> will you send your board so you can adjust it to inflation? <laughs> I used to like just visiting. What's that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. just we visiting just... it to put your pieces on the edge, of, right on the edge of the board. Yeah, which is a lovely link back to Amnesty, isn't it? Because it's important to visit those in prison. <laughs> See, it felt, that might have felt like a long-winded way <laughs> to get into human rights and free speech. In the same, yeah. But we've ended up there. I so, went to... I looked round, I looked yes. round to the audience. When I came back, you'd taken your jacket off. <laughs> Don't take anything else off Sorry, when I look no, away. Right, OK. I'll just change every time you look down. Now, I went to a prison. I'm going to do a joke anyway, actually. Go on. But uh, I went to this prison and I walked in. The bloke said, he said, uh, he said, watch out for one-eyed Rick. I said, is he violent? He said, no, he keeps bumping into people. <laughs> That's my prison joke right there. <laughs> I went to an open prison. There was no one there. Now, your act is daft. Your stand-up act. It's daft. It's yes. silly nonsense. It's the world of Tim Vine in which kind of anything goes, but it's all a bit silly and daft. It's kind of a bit old-fashioned almost. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. When it's you started really. out on the comedy circuit, did you yes. feel like you were um, a little out of place in a world in which there was... I, I remember starting out in the 80s and there was an obligation to talk about topical issues and news-based material and politicians and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that left. obligation had worn off a bit by the time I started, probably a few years after you, so... I'm, it, by the early 90s, it was still called the alternative circuit, I think, so there was still that sort of feel of it. But I, um, there weren't a lot of people going on, going, Velcro, what a rip-off. It's true, that was mainly... It was, you know, but it was, for, for me, that was part of the fun I of it. got not enough. I no, got not I know, enough. yeah. <laughs> it slipped past them. Yeah, but, um, but to me, it was quite fun, you know, following people like, I don't know, Mark Thomas or someone who's talking about quite serious stuff, and then to go on and just be so uh, childish. But it would be a mistake to think that you are childish because we were, in the, we were backstage at the Amnesty International podcast and we came upon the Amnesty International Human Rights Passport and you seized upon that well, jealously. Is, yes, but this is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and I realised, ladies and gentlemen, that I'd never, ever 
read it, and I, I did, which is actually what the... There are 30 articles, of which the first one is the one that we would have heard, which is, um, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. And I, like, I tell you what, I like this bit here. When we are born, we are free, and each of us should be treated in the same way. We, we have reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a friendly manner. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Article 24, I quite like. Yeah. Um, as you drew my attention to Article 24. Do you want to give us that one? Everyone has the right to rest and leisure. <laughs> Each workday should not be too long. <laughs> Everyone has the right to take regular paid holidays. You sound so relaxed, I almost thought you weren't going to finish that sentence. That's, how it... <laughs> That's great though, isn't it? I think um, it's wonderful. The, yeah. You can get this. Get this from Amnesty. It's the human rights passport. Um, I'm thinking of keeping it with me all the time and just suddenly bringing it out in situations. <laughs> oh, I think you'll find. <laughs> if you feel like you're getting a parking ticket and you think you're being hard done by, yeah. it's probably covered. <laughs> <laughs> we have to kind of leave it there in a sad way, but you are going to be in that chair for the remainder. Yeah, in um, a variety of different costumes, just to throw you. <laughs> Watching people from behind while they perform their <laughs> hilarious material. I'm Believe me, it's it. peculiar. Um, <laughs> Uh, thank you, Tim Vine. Please, you'll really welcome one of the, the funniest women at this festival, a brilliant comedian, Jessica Fosterkeep. <laughs> Hello. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Believe me, chaps, it's weirder for me than it is for you. Um, good, it's nice to meet you. So this year, for the first time ever in my life, I moved in with my boyfriend. Uh, it's the first time I've ever done that. Does anyone here live with their partner? I thought literally in a hall full of people that only two of you live with your partner, really? Um, if you've never tried it, you should. Um, it's literally half as much fun as living on your own. Um, there's an ancient proverb that I wrote. Uh, that if you have a bowl of ice cream, it is delicious. But if you have litres and litres and litres of ice cream, you will be violently sick. So just because you've fallen in love with someone doesn't mean it's a good idea necessarily to go on and actually move in with them. Uh, they would definitely judge you on how much ice cream you like to eat. Um, a lot of people that work for Amnesty go to some incredibly sort of war-torn places in the world. The scariest place I've been recently was Morecambe. Um, I don't know if you've ever been. I'll share this story with you. Um, so I stayed in a very, very characterful B&B and I came down in the morning uh, and uh, there was a lounge converted into a breakfast room and there was a very old couple in there and just one other table with a knife, a fork and a bit of A4 paper on it. Uh, and the teenage daughter of the family who was waitressing that morning popped up and went, that's right, that's yours, the table for one. You help yourself to juice and cereal, you do not help yourself to tea or coffee. I get you tea or coffee. Do you want tea or do you want coffee? <laughs> Scared. I said, yeah, I'll just have coffee. And I sat down at my table for one. And the girl went and stood beside me with her face against the wall nearby. <laughs> it gets stranger. I picked up the bit of paper. There was an A4 bit of paper on my table. It just said menu, English breakfast. And then it was blank. <laughs> and she brought her face away from the wall and said, would you like to order now? are in a minute and a half. <laughs> it's too specific, isn't it? But I thought, I need a bit of time to consider my option. <laughs> I said, yep, I'll have the minute and a half. So she went back to the wall. <laughs> I thought, this is too odd. Let's have a listen to what this old couple are saying. Maybe they're also talking about how strange uh, this situation is. It'll make me feel better uh, that they're also having a weird time. And I don't know if you know the Lancashire accent. The woman is talking in a constant stream. It's rather lovely to listen to, actually. It's rather tuneful. It's almost melodic. The sort of a natural stops and starts in it. But that doesn't mean there's been a beginning or an end of a sentence. God, there's no way of telling in a Lancashire accent that there's been a beginning or an end of a sentence. Uh, and to know that if she's got a Lancashire accent, it doesn't mean she's got on holiday at home. But that is the least weird 
weird thing that happened to me that morning, right? And the, the husband is listening, but he's not saying anything back, but you know that he's listening because he's going, mm, 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 So I sort of pull myself out of the soporific trance of listening to that as the girl comes back from the wall and says, so, do you want the English breakfast or the... And I wish I'd had the proverbial testicles to say, I'll have the nothing. Well, I didn't, right? I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll have the English breakfast. Quite aggressively, she went, do you want beans or tomatoes? You can have both, you just have to ask. <laughs> so scared now, I went, I'll have neither. She then looks at me, incredulous, as if I've been the weird one. <laughs> no, I thought, no, you have been the weird one. She's looking at me as if I said, yeah, I'll have both, and can you stick it into my mouth like a baby bird? No, you've been the weird one. So ruined, she's gone baffled in the face that someone could possibly not want beans or tomato. She walks off, I think, right. I sat there, I finished tweeting about it. <laughs> and I thought, let's try and tune in one more time to what this couple are saying. And the husband's still going, mm, 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 mm. And as I catch in, this is the snippet that I hear. The lady says, she was ever so depressed after he died. <laughs> I think she missed strapping his leg on. Too weird, isn't it? I could, I could have written a punchline for that story, but I thought I'd rather just share, share it with you as it happened, word for word, situation I was in that I'm happy to have gotten out of alive. Um, uh, and as a writer, I'm gutted that they've already made the League of Gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> would have been a lovely starting block. Um, thank you, thank you for your loss again. Uh, have a lovely time at the Fringe, and, and thank you for supporting this wonderful gig. Jessica Foster Q. Lovely stuff. Thoroughly enjoyable. We have another guest, and I'm delighted to have this guest. It's the first time I've met him. I met him just before the show. We had a brief chat. I'm looking forward to talking to him more. Uh, he's come all the way from Ireland. He's a thought-provoking, funny man with a beard. Uh, is the wonderful Keith Farnan. <laughs> Keith. Hello. So good of you to come. Thank you for coming. You are a man who talks about issues. Take me through the last few years of your shows here at the Fringe for the God, benefit. It sounded like such an accusation. No, I know it feels like it. But you're it a man with issues, <laughs> and you have a beard, and you look like you're two mistakes away from being homeless. I know this. I know this. <laughs> I'm aware of what I look like. So let's. Uh, <laughs> I immediately you're thinking to me, oh, he must be a socialist. He can't shave. Um, Right, so, so yeah, so the, the, the first, can I say first of all, it was so, as a comedian watching another comedian having to do a gig with two comedians sitting behind them, that was such a pleasure for me not being that comedian. <laughs> with just the heavy breathing of Tim Vine and Alan Davis behind them. And, and did you see the creepy lighting? You guys couldn't see it, but they had creepy lighting <laughs> over you, like you were some comedy overlords. <laughs> just going, with, all you needed, Tim, was a white cat to stroke, just going, hmm, let's see if we open the trapdoor to the shark-infested waters beneath this amnesty gig. Oh, the ironies will abound, abound, I tell you. Because <laughs> that's how Tim really talks. Uh, <laughs> nobody knows that. Uh, and there was a question at the beginning of all, that, well, so. this is what I like about you. This is what I like about Keith. It's that you can go, you've done shows about the death penalty. Yes. You've done shows about all kinds of serious importance, kind of amnesty-ish topics. Yes. But you have, you have this instinctive brilliance as a comedian. Do you find if you're in a club, for example... Can I use that on a poster next year? Yeah, you can have amazing. that. But you're just kind of naturally funny. But you, do you kind of find that you open your set sometimes with a more kind of conventional stand-up before you move into 
issues and topics? Well, well in, like the Irish style is very much, because when we come over, like every Irish comedian uh, you've ever loved, I mean, we start in Ireland and, and, and you just grow up telling stories. That's what it is. And, and when you grow up in Ireland, like telling a story, it's, it's, it's like a blood sport because you're telling the story, but everyone around the table with you has their own story they want to tell. So you're like the hare ahead of the two hounds. And, and if you take a wrong turn, somebody else will just come in and start telling their story. So you become incredibly good at telling a story. Uh, otherwise, you don't ever get to finish it and somebody else gets the punchline. So that's where we start from. And then you come to England and in England you like sort of gags and jokes and because and, in Ireland we can sit for 20 minutes and watch a comedian with one punchline at the very end. I mean it's got to be a good punchline. <laughs> but we'll sit there and we'll watch it. And, and so when you come over here you start, you just start talking naturally because you're afraid that one of the hounds will get you. And, and, and for me then it's very easy to just sort of segue into some of the, because the reason I did the death penalty show, like it didn't come out of nowhere. I, I studied law and, and I worked in uh, America as a law student um, in Georgia with a death penalty, uh, a multi-county public defender who worked on death penalty cases. And then I worked in New York with Barry Sheck, who set up the Innocence Project, which worked on freeing people who'd been in prison for 20 years on, on, uh, on very flimsy forensic evidence from the, the 80s, when, when scientists were used in court and would say, you know, there was A-plus blood at the scene, and, and our, your defendant has A-plus blood, he must be guilty. And audiences just, are not audiences, they're called juries in there. <laughs> this is why well, I had to Tom, give up law. This is why I had to give up law. I'd walk on stage going, hey, so where are you from? That's not, that's, that's not going to work with All the, the time you're thinking, um, this is going to make great material. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to give it up so I have an hour show out of it. So this, um, what's the show this year? What's it? So the show this year is called Fear Itself, because I've done shows on, on the death penalty, and I did a show on immigration and women's rights and then the economy. And this year I wanted to do something a bit more personal and, and, and discuss, you know, because I've, I've had this sort of idea of, of myself as being someone who really cares and has a social conscience, and then a few things happened that really question that and and I really believe that we all live our lives uh, between the fears we overcome and the fears we don't and I think that's your life right there I think I think if you look at how happy you are or how successful you are I think a lot of that has to do with the fear you've overcome and, and, and where you've gone with that last week I went to Annick Castle in Northumberland and I took my children uh, my three-year-old girl she's three and a half and in Annick Castle there's a dungeon it's called an oubliere and it's a French word and it's a it's a place where you can be forgotten and it's a, just a hole in the ground and they would lower somebody in there on a rope and then put the kind of cage on top, bars on top, and just leave them there. And I thought this might be, it says, the dungeon, this way. So I'd take my children along and we'd go to the dungeon thinking this would be weird and spooky and dark. And she then asked me for about half an hour, but why? But why, why did they put the man in there? And the, but you can see down into it, and there's a person, not a real person, a dummy down there. You have to explain to your child that that's not a real person because it's so unthinkable that somebody would be put there. But now when you come to a show like this and you talk about Amnesty International, you are aware that there are people in cages for no apparent reason. And it's that, that well, I don't know what that was, 200 years ago, maybe? Yeah. Just one little thing, uh, um, Stephen Fry has written an open letter calling for a boycott on the Winter Olympics. What do you think about that situation over there? We're living at a time, like, I think, I think evolution has been responsible, because there's a homophobia, a homo like, a fear of, of, of gay people, like, it's an actual fear, like, there's not even racophobia, there's racism, but there's a homophobia. But and, isn't and that the issue, Keith? If that's the point of this law, that law makes people think, oh, there must be something to be afraid of, otherwise, why would they make a law? But let me, let me, let me get into this, right? I understand homophobia from an evolutionary point of view, because if, if if the first two uh, amoebas, if one of them had been gay, there'd be nobody here. And then um, if one of the few men who used to live in caves, uh, or cavemen, if you want to give them their technical name, um, 
if they were gay, then there'd be less of us here. So evolution has made us afraid of, of, of anyone gay because it would lessen the population. And it's no coincidence that we live at a time when we are recognizing gay rights all over the world. And also at the same time, we can make babies. We bypassed evolution. We can make babies out of anything, out of the cells from our fingernails and our hands and curtains. We can just put curtains in there. Like we can put it into a blender and we can make a baby. Wouldn't be a pretty baby. Probably be from Dundee or somewhere like that. But it'd be a baby. Nonetheless. Hello, Dundee. Hello. <laughs> I couldn't see you with the curtains behind you. That's amazing. <laughs> so people are afraid, and there's still that backward fear in, in Russia, because Russia have done this brilliant thing where they've said, um, we will monitor ourselves, and they don't really monitor themselves because they're, they're corrupt and they'll do what they want. And then if anyone from the Western side of things like Amnesty or the West come in and say, listen, our, our Doctors Without Frontiers come in and say, listen, you need to up your game in terms of human rights, they say, this is Western interference, and they make people paranoid about what's around them. It's, it's a brilliant tactic, and they've done so well in the last 10 years, they've almost removed the idea of Glasnost completely. Keith Farnan, ladies and gentlemen. It's, um, Can I just um, tell the listeners that during that chat, I went through 18 different costumes. <laughs> <laughs> As the host, it's my job to include Tim Vine in Keith Farnan's monologue. And I absolutely... <laughs> Abjectly failed you, that. Tim. I'm so sorry. I was gripped. I was gripped. And I was unable also to ask Keith of any questions about Monopoly. If you like me here, you can keep listening right to the end of the podcast. You can find out how you can contribute to Amnesty International's human rights work. But finally, more stand-up comedy. This is a former doctor, a man of many voices, and a massive moustache. Please really welcome Mike Wozniak. <laughs> It's a short set, five minutes. I mean, there's there's two problems for me for, for that. Uh, one is that I, I don't I don't really have any uh, sort of jokes, proper jokes, um, so to speak. Very much a rambler. I mean, I've got a joke. Um, it's not a very good joke, um, so we can use that if we need. And also the sort of political type of stuff. I mean, I desperately try and sort of write sort of proper sort of political type stuff, but I, I don't I don't know anything about it and don't have the brain power to to do it. Um, sadly, I mean, on, on on the way here, I, I sort of wrote state torture because I thought it'd be sort of you know re relevant and could write a sort of moving piece for you. I did a sort of series of mind maps to try and work out how to do something for you. We just came up with the inescapable conclusion that state torture should be privatised, uh, which was very <laughs> disappointed in myself and uh, disappointed in mind maps. Um, uh, so I, yeah, so I mean, I mean, yeah, but I mean, the, the science thing, the doctorate science thing, there is, there is science, it's not a complete untruth, there is a sciencey background, but it's, it's more my, my father, Josef Wozniak, um, is his name, he's an amateur scientist, but again, it, he doesn't do any sort of useful science, nothing sort of that the amnesty could use. Helpful. He, for example, spent most of the early part of this year trying to disprove the well-established medical fact that it is impossible for a man to shit and shout at exactly the same time. Um... As you can imagine, that made the home environment not a little unpleasant for my mother. He, he has abandoned this, though. Now, he, he read in one of his amateur science journals that if a man was to sneeze and fart at precisely the same time, he would implode. Uh, and immediately cease to exist. But again, this isn't necessarily helpful in sort of campaigning for, for human rights. I mean, I did, I did sort of phone him and ask him if he had any sort of useful science-based facts um, and uh, that Amnesty might be interested in. I mean, he gave me some cat facts. Um, give me some facts about a cat. I don't think Amnesty covers cats. Do you cover cats? Um, for example, when a cat yawns and arches its back, if you press on the base of its spine, the cat will burst. Um, not advocating that, obviously, it's just cat facts. Um, contrary to popular belief, you should always let a cat out of a bag. Cat facts. Um, just cat facts. It's 
attached to cat facts. And yeah, it's all, you know, science-based stuff. You know, a, a man can drown in an inch of water. Um, you all know that. Obviously, positioning is crucial. Um, <laughs> as is a degree of patience. Um, not a helpful facts, not, not a helpful man in any way. He's, he's currently trying to discover a new shape. That's his thing. Um, I mean, I, I look for... Um, I look for sort of facts as well. I mean, LA, Los Angeles, contains more ears than people. <laughs> I'll admit I sourced that one myself. I, might have, I mean, I read it over a man's shoulder on a bus with hindsight probably said cars, but it still stands. Here's a fact. <laughs> so, um, Dad, um, he, uh, he's, he, try, he tries other things beyond science. He, he did, he did t t try and raise some, some money um, earlier on, did the marathon up in London, went up from London. Um, but for himself, raising money for himself, not for amnesty or anything useful. <laughs> but it didn't go well, he's not a natural sportsman. It didn't go, well, I think the first clue that things were going wrong came at mile two, when he felt as if his right leg was coming loose. <laughs> clue two came at mile three, when he was overtaken by a man dressed as a Cornish pasty, <laughs> running flat side on. Which, as we all know, is the hardest way to run as a Cornish pasty. That, again, is, that's basic science. Um, but he persevered until clue three, mile five, when finally he discovered that, yes, a man can shit and shout at exactly the same time. Um, but I should leave you. Thanks a lot for having me. Have a good friend. Cheerio. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, welcome to the app. Oh, absolute joy and a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. That's it. For today's podcast, Julian Clary will be hosting the next couple of shows. Do not forget to subscribe to hear those. Thanks to everyone on the show today. We had Keith Farnan, <laughs> Jess Foster Chris Martin, Tim Vine, and Mike Wozniak. Uh, I'm Alan Davis, uh, which I'm stuck with. Thank you for coming and keep supporting Amnesty International. Thank you. You've just been listening to free comedy courtesy of Amnesty International. Please make a donation to our vital work. Hello, my name is Rich Cowley. I'm a graphic designer here at Amnesty International. I've now worked here for over five years, the longest I've ever stayed in one job. That's because I love my job here. I get to combine what I'm good at, design, with the fight for justice and human rights around the world. Among the things I design here at Amnesty are the Amnesty magazine, all kinds of campaign materials which involves posters, leaflets, banners, as well as fundraising materials. One thing that really matters to me is freedom of expression. We take it a bit for granted in this country. I remember seeing the Syrian cartoonist Ali Fazat speaking at Amnesty. He'd previously received death threats from Saddam Hussein and in 2011, he'd had his fingers broken by gunmen loyal to the Syrian president just because of his cartoons. I love that I work for an organisation that stands up to governments that says, actually, no, you can't treat people like that. And we're going to work with other like-minded people to stop you treating people like that. If you feel like I do and want to find out more about my work and Amnesty, then just go to amnesty.org.uk and please donate £5 by texting JUSTICE and your full name to 70505. Thank you. Your text will cost £5 plus one standard message costing up to 10p. Amnesty UK receives at least £4.75. Please ask the bill payer's permission. To unsubscribe from contact, text STOP 
to 70505 at any time. Full terms and conditions at amnesty.org.uk slash SMS terms.